This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And then you can read the rest of the story. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled Journey into Self-Discovery. A journey into self-discovery. There's something special about fatherhood for me because it gives me at a macro level, uh, a micro level, a little glimpse into what it is to be a father and to experience what it is to have a father's heart. And the thing is with my three children, I feel, Sarah and I speak ad infinitum about our role and our responsibility as good parents and what does that mean. But our responsibility in many ways is to raise up a child. Raise up a child. When we have a look at our children, I was thinking about this earlier in the week. You know what the amazing thing is? Every child that you've got, every child that comes into your home, your child is born with purpose. And not only that, but the thing about it, as a parent, you need to recognize because it's born with purpose, it's kitted out for purpose. Don't try and change your child. You didn't design him. Your responsibility is to steward Not to redesign. So my responsibility as a parent is to recognize the fact that each one of my children is different and to look at those children and sit and say, I'm able to identify what their gifting is, what their talent is, what their ability is, how God has created them, and to draw out of that the full potential and everything that exists within them so that they realize and they're kitted out and they're established to be able to walk into the purpose that God has for their life. But their ability and and what God has gifted them with is only part of the equation. I have a responsibility to begin to inform and to help mold their character. Because the thing is that life is going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you. You don't know what your future holds. You don't know what's coming down the way. You don't know what the future has in store for you. There are all kinds of things. There are all kinds of relationships. There are all kinds of new adventures. There are all things that you can get into. There are going to be some challenges and there are going to be some obstacles. There are going to be some hurdles that you have to get over. There are going to be some interesting relationships and good friendships. And there are going to be others that are going to sabotage you. There's a whole array of different things that are coming. And it's called your future. And they have to be kitted out and they have to be prepared so that they're able to walk into their future. My responsibility as a father and as a mother is to sit and say, Let's get you to the place where when you walk into your future, you're able to sit and say, I can do this and I can handle it. God looks at us that way. We think that when God looks at us, God perhaps is, is so distant that he doesn't really have a, an influence in who we are. But he really does 
He's really looking to be a part of your everyday life and your, every, your everyday development. God is looking at you sitting saying, you know what? I want you to realize the full potential of everything that I've put on the inside of you. I want you to walk into your purpose for life. And because of that, my responsibility as a good father is to take you and to mold you and to get you to a place where you're kitted out to be able to handle the future that's coming down the way. There is a reason we inherit an inheritance later on in life. It's not normal that people get an inheritance early. Usually you get an inheritance when somebody of significance passes along. It's later on in life. There's a reason for that. Because we're very often not at a place where we're able to steward it effectively. You've got to go through some stuff in life. Life has to knock you about a little bit. Life has to do some things to you. Life has to pull some stuff out of, that you, out of you that you didn't know that was there. Life needs to knock some rough edges off you. Life needs to put you at a place where you get to a position where you start to identify and you recognize who you truly are and what you're all about. You need to be at a place where you're grounded and you're solid and you're established so that you can take something of worth and that you can steward it effectively and efficiently. The problem with it is, is if we're not kitted out for something like that, you get a benefit. You get an injection of something that's designed to elevate your life. And because I'm not at a place of maturity, because I don't have the wisdom necessary on the inside of me, I end up taking that and I squander it. And a blessing that was designed to be something that's beneficial to my life and take me and elevate my life to a whole new place ends up being something that is lost. So we understand that there's a very important balance that exists between my personal development, my character and who I am, my ability to be able to walk into a space of maturity and embrace in fullness who I am, move to a place where I'm able to get rid of a whole bunch of that stuff that used to define who I was, that used to be a part of who I am, and let go of that stuff. So I move into a place of maturity. I move to a place of wisdom where I have enough life experience. I have enough of what he's put on the inside of me to be able to assimilate information, to be able to take things in, and to be able to exercise the the necessary measures to effectively handle value. God's doing something both on the inside of me so that he can take what he wants to give me and present it to me. And number one, I'm able to recognize it. And number two, I know how to steward it. I believe the father looked at his son and he understood that the issue that his son had was an identity issue. He didn't know who he was. I don't know who I am. I've lived in the context of family. I've lived in the context of who we are. I understand all of this stuff, but I don't really know who I am. And the father says to him, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You know what? You need to know who you are. And you need to discover who you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take mine, the inheritance that you're asking for, and I'm prepared to pay the price. You take the inheritance and off you go. I don't believe the father thought that he was going to see the inheritance again. But that wasn't consequential in his life. He was prepared to scribble the cost of the inheritance because what was more important for him was the life of his son. What was more important for him was to sit and say, there are some journeys you've got to go on in life and I can tell you things and I can try and put things into you and I can try and instill things into you as your father. But sometimes you've got to learn through experience. 
You realize when you get older how much your parents knew. It wasn't the first time they told you that. They told you all through your upbringing. And you said, yes, 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 yes. And you didn't do any of it. And how did you learn? I went out and I got into life. And all of a sudden I was knocked around a little bit. And suddenly I thought, oh, hold on. I remember. My parents told me something about this. Sometimes we need life experience because there's no greater teacher in, in, in our life. Oh, that's apart from the Holy Spirit. Than life experience. Because life experience is going to take you to the place of reality where it's going to sit and say, what do you believe? The thing about life is when you get out there, life is going to determine who you are because it's going to ask you a question every time. Every time you're in a, in a situation of conflict, what it's saying to you is, who are you? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Every time you have a challenge on the end that, that you're confronted with, something that you sit and say, well, I have to overcome this. What is it saying? It's saying to you, who are you? Who are you? Because if you can't define who you are, it's going to run right over you. There are going to be times in life where opportunities present themselves. The question is, do you have what it takes to be able to embrace that, to take the leap of faith, to sit and say, you know what? I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of and I'm going to step into something new. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it might leave me at a place where perhaps I don't always know how to define what it's going to look like. But I'm prepared to do it and I'm prepared to take the leap. Who are you? Who are you? An inheritance. is an injection of benefit. It's designed to elevate your life. Wherever you find yourself when you receive that, whatever's populating your world at that point, whatever the challenges might be, whatever the realities might be, whatever the relationships might be, wherever you find yourself at that point, the whole intention that goes with an inheritance is to take you and to elevate your life, and to propel it from where it is right now up to right here. It's designed to enlarge your capacity. It's designed to enlarge your ability. It's designed to take you to a place of, of experience and living that's elevated from where you are. But it's going to require something of you because the thing is to move into that space, you've got to be at a place where you're able to embrace that and steward it effectively. God loves you so much that God gave you an inheritance. And it comes wrapped in a package called grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is love in action. Grace is something that says, you know what? I love you so much. I love who you are. I love what you're about. I love what's going on in the inside of you. This is what I'm doing to take your life from where you are to the next level. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want to put into your life so that it'll teach you so that you can establish yourself at a new level and deal with things in a different way. This is what I want to do and impart to you so that you know what? You don't need to suck things from your relationships anymore. You come to me and I will give you everything that you need so that you can be a person who imparts into your relationships, which transforms everything. God is using grace. God is using everything that Jesus paid the price for so that he can take those things and make them a reality in our life so that they can transform where we are and what we're all about and move us to a more elevated place of living. 
something that we experience in him. One of the biggest benefits that goes with an inheritance is the fact that grace has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to get grace. You didn't do anything to create grace. You had no play in, in no part in making it, bringing it about. In fact, it was so important to God that God actually committed himself to go and make sure that it's fulfilled on your behalf. Grace is everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. It's God working and sitting saying, I love you so much that I paid the price so that you could experience an elevated way of life. The thing about grace is that grace is actually quite irrational because it flies in the face of our traditional sets of what is fair and what is deserving. As people, we go about and it's like, well, if you do good things to me, you deserve something good coming back to you. If you treat me nicely, I will treat you nicely. But there are people who are prickly. There are people who are ugly. There are people who do things that aren't particularly nice. And the thing about it is very often, as, as people, as natural people, what we do is we sit and say, well, they deserve that because of what they did with that. But God has such a father's heart The thing is, God doesn't work in that paradigm. God says, I give it to you because I love you. Not because of anything else. It's something that we we can't always fully fathom. And it's it's something that's become far more apparent to me as a parent. Because the thing about it as a parent is, I love my kids, period. It doesn't matter if they do something out of what is appropriate. They never lose my love. Even when they do things that they know that I've asked them not to do and they're acting rebelliously, I still never stop loving them. It's never been a case where I sit and say, you know what, because of this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to withhold my love from you. It never happens. It never happens. That's how God is with us. God loves us so very much that what God wants to do is God is forever working on taking who he is and what he's all about and sitting saying, I want to take a part of who I am and I want to bless your life with it. I want to impart it into your life because it's something that's going to be to your betterment and to to your benefit. Grace is designed to do something on the inside of us. Grace is designed to take us to a place where we're not people who are, long, who are any longer governed by sin, but we're governed by faith. It's important because it starts to define something new on the inside of us. It starts to define a new reality. It starts to give definition to who I'm supposed to be. Grace is introducing me to God's design for my life. It's giving me an introduction to what he's preordained for me to walk into. And when I grab a hold of what grace is all about, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm grabbing hold and I'm stepping into the process of self-discovery. One of the biggest challenges with growing up in an environment of privilege is that we always run the risk of taking it for granted. When you grow up with privilege, it becomes your norm. And anything that becomes your norm, you become very laissez-faire and casual with. Eh, that's just life. It's just life for you, but it may not be life for others. That's the problem 
or one of the potential pitfalls that goes with that paradigm. The challenge we have is this. The church in America has grown up in a place of spiritual benefit. A spiritual privilege. And the problem with so much of the church of America right at the moment is that we take it for granted. Because everything's accessible to me. Everything's available to me. I just wake up in the morning. Eh, chilly old go outside. Bring my coffee. And I'll just... Um, you know, get on YouTube, quick and easy. We have books available. We have television available. We have concerts available. You can go to any conference that you would like. You can wake up. You can roll out of bed. And there are 42 churches on your street. Pick one. <laughs> We're comfortable because it's part of our culture. Ah, it's church. Ah, it's spirituality. Ah, it's Christianity. It's not that I'm not aware of it, but it's not defining in my life. It's not something that I have an appetite for. I was speaking to Pastor Ransford, and he comes from Ghana. And he was sitting talking about the fact that if you come from Ghana and you preach, you better have a message. And don't think that you're going to get away with a 30-minute message. You're going to do an hour to 90 minutes. Why? Because when people in Ghana wake up in the morning, they don't grow up in an environment of spiritual privilege. They don't have access to internet and they don't have a church on every corner and they don't have access to every conference here, there and everywhere. They don't have even access to books. So what happens is, if I'm going to church, I'm making a commitment to that. It's not uncommon for people to walk an hour to two hours to get to church. And then back again. So if I'm walking to church, church better deliver. When I walk to church, I walk in, I, I'm walking in the expectation that, that something's going to happen there that's going to affect and change my life. Why? Because I didn't grow up in an environment of spiritual privilege. So when I get a taste of it, and when I get to participate in it, I value it. And when I value it and I go in with expectation, things happen. The American church wants to talk about why things happen in South America and why things happen in Africa and why things happen in all those things. And we're like, why doesn't it happen here? Because we're in apathy. Oh, I got up really late this morning. I hope we can make it to church on time. This is all the beach people. I'm mimicking the beach people. I hope we get to church on time. I've never had to sit and think about, oh, you know what? Hey, I've got an hour to walk to church. Got to make sure I'm up early enough for that. You know what? Great things better happen there. I'm living in anticipation of God showing up. Imagine what the Holy Spirit's going to do today. Anytime we're at a place where we receive an inheritance, understand this, that the inheritance came at somebody else's price. You may love that money that you've inherited, but you know what? It came with somebody else's blood, sweat, and tears. Somebody else paid the price so that you could receive that. Somebody else paid the price so that you could walk into that benefit and so that your life could be elevated. And because of that, I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to say, number one, honor it. Number two, value it. When you honor and you value an inheritance, you deal with it and you, you manage it in a way that's different to somebody who just squanders it. Why? Because I honor that and I value it. 
The problem is, if we don't value it, what ends up happening is I receive blessing into my life. But because I don't have that sense of honor or value, what ends up happening is I just use it frivolously. And before I know it, what is designed to be a benefit to my life is something that's trickled away. Jesus has given us an inheritance, and the inheritance that we have is designed to change our life. And all too often, what ends up happening is it may be unintentional, but we squander the inheritance. Every single day, you encounter different things in life. Every single day is is an opportunity for you to make a draw on that inheritance. Every single day is an opportunity for you to face some circumstances, some challenges, some new things in your life. Every day is an opportunity for you to come into a place of conflict and issue. And you sit and say, Father, show me what from your inheritance I'm supposed to take and appropriate in this situation right now that elevates it from where it is right now so that I can step into something new. That's called valuing and honoring an inheritance. That's how we squander the inheritance that he's given us. Well, we just get into normal living. We handle it the same way we've always handled it. We deal with it the same way we've always dealt with it. We've got the same bad attitudes, the same, but we come to church in Shamatata. But I've never appropriated the inheritance in a way that it comes into my life and it brings transformation and change. If your life looks like it did from 10 years ago, you've never stepped into your inheritance. If your life looks like it did last week, you've never done anything to make a claim against that inheritance that you said, take me in some part of my life and elevate that part of my life to something new. I'm squandering, squandering, and time is going. God wants to do something inside of us so that we were able to get to the place where we begin to recognize and appreciate and apply the inheritance to our lives. Ephesians 1 verse 18. Paul's praying and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The eyes of your heart be enlightened. What an interesting thing to pray. What he's really saying is this. You perceive with your eyes but you see with your heart. What happens in your world is going to come through the se- your, sen- your eye sensory. Your, your, your sense is called your eyes. Ah! It's coming through the senses called your eyes. And it's hitting your brain. And all the information that's going in there is being synthesized through your heart. And you're giving an interpretation of what's going on in your life. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about something and you think that you've been quite um, effective in communicating how it is that you think and why you believe and whatever it might be. And the next thing you hear them telling you back what they heard and you think, where did that come from? I didn't say that. Get into an argument with someone and then you'll quickly find out. You said this, this is, that's not what I said. What happened? I heard something. I saw something. It went in. But the the problem with it was, was that my heart processed it and interpreted what I saw or heard. The challenge that we have is this. When we as people have the lens of our heart distorted because we people who have jealousy rooted in there or we have hurt or we have anger Anything that we have that's in our heart 
that interferes with our interpretation of things, what ends up happening is we move to a place where we don't hear what's being said. Our interpretation is distorted. So it's really important for us to get to a place where we have the eyes of our heart opened so that it's clear. So that we, we're able to walk into that place from God's perspective where we walk into a situation and all of a sudden we see it the way that God sees it out of truth. Because then our interpretation will be accurate. People have ideas about God all the time. God wants to bless some people, but not all of them. The inference is probably not me. When I have that, I have a distorted lens about God. So every time I walk into a situation where somebody else gets a raise and I don't, what is my interpretation of it? That's God teaching me a lesson. God's called me to be holy, so I shouldn't participate and get involved with the world. So the problem with it is, is that every time I find myself at a, at a, at a point where God's inviting me to have influence outside of this place, because my lens of my heart is distorted, I set up a parameter and I say, well, I can go so far, but I really can't go into the world. Because I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I have a distorted view of things. When our pretext is wrong, the way that we interpret reality gets distorted. God wants to fix our pretext. God wants to, our our predisposition, the way that we get involved in circumstances and situations so that the eyes of our understanding are open. Because if they're not, what ends up happening is we begin to do things and we begin to act in certain ways and we begin to behave in certain ways that are incongruent with God's truth. But the lens of our understanding leads us down certain paths. And before we know it, we find ourselves at a place where we're in amongst the pigs. We don't really have a full appreciation for what that means because our culture is a little bit different to the culture of back then. But the thing is, the culture back then was, he's talking to a whole bunch of Jewish people. Jewish people view themselves as being God's chosen people. And because of that, it speaks about their righteousness. And because of that, they saw themselves as being a little bit more elevated um, than other people. But one thing that they never did is they never mixed with that which is unclean. And the thing that represents most what is unclean is the pig. What he was saying was this. You find yourself at a place where you are righteous, but you're living in amongst everything that's unrighteous. I'm carrying the name of God. I'm a Christian, but I'm living like the world. I have the light on the inside of me, but I'm living in amongst the darkness. I'm a righteous person, but I'm living in amongst unrighteousness. I'm living in the pigs. I'm carrying the name, but I'm living in the pigs. I look like everybody else. I behave like everybody else. I speak like everybody else. I anticipate like everybody else. Did you notice what he did while he was in there? It says he was so hungry that he had a look at the pig's food, the pods, and he said he was even tempted to eat those. You know what happens when you live with unrighteousness? When you eat the pods of the pigs, you're eating the food of unrighteousness. Who speaks into your life? Who speaks into your life? 
Do you protect your heart? Do you guard it carefully? Do you put yourself in environments where the things that have access to your life and access to your heart are things that are of him? Or do you find yourself where you just open up to anything in the world? I just listen to what everybody else does. I got friends in my life and they all speak and I was just sharing with them about it. Why were you sharing with them? They're not even born again. They don't have the life of God on the inside of them. They're not there to affirm your identity. What they're going to give you is a whole bunch of stuff. They're going to give you pods. If you don't have God's life on the inside of you, that's all you're going to get. Pods. Be careful where you, what you allow to have influence in your life. Our most unhappy Christians are Christians living amongst the pigs because they have a reality and they have a name on the inside of them, but it's not experiential. They're living like the world and they're unfulfilled and they're unhappy and they have no sense of purpose and things don't work for them. It's a, def- it's a deflated and a negative place to live. It says he lived there for a period of time. And then he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Do you notice that when it says he came to his senses, what was the first thing he thought of? His father. The first thing that came up when he came to his senses is... Remember my father. He thought about his lineage. He thought about his history. He thought about family. He thought about his pedigree. He thought about who he was. He considered who he was. And when he thought about who he was, and suddenly everything began to click in on the inside of him. And suddenly his identity and who he was as a son suddenly made sense. And when it made sense, he looked up and he was like, if I'm a son, what am I doing living amongst the pigs? There's something about your identity that'll put you at a place that'll change your reality. When you have God intervene in your life and God introduces you to his his enabling, his benefits, introducing you to, to his inheritance. The whole point of the inheritance is to introduce you to who you are. Because when he introduces you to who you are, all of a sudden you stand up there and you say, I'm not here to tolerate this anymore. I'm not living amongst the pigs. That's not who I am. All of a sudden, I'll be at a place where I'll sit and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not living as a victim in my life anymore because that's not who God's called me to be. All of a sudden, I'll sit and say, I'm not living with conflict anymore. I'm tired of conflict because that's not who God's called me to be. So we sit and say, fine, God, show me how I move from the place. How do I get somewhere? When God begins to affect our identity and we step into the truth of who we are, it begins to change our reality because all of a sudden our disposition changes. That's why your identity is your destiny. That's why your identity is your destiny. Every time you begin to discover a new part of who you are in him, every time you step into the newness of what he's called you to be, it begins to affect who you are and your disposition and your attitude. And you realize, you know what? I don't want to live where I am anymore. I don't want to get comfortable where I am anymore. I'm tired of living with the status quo. I am adopting the inheritance because I'm stepping up from where I am and I'm going somewhere. We've got to have vision as Christians. The reason that so many people live with the pigs is because they've got no vision about where they can go. This is what I know. This is what I've lived with. This has been my reality for so long that pig life becomes normal. But there comes a time. 
there comes a time where I get tired of it. And when I get tired of it and I begin searching, I open the door for God to do something in my life. Paul on the road to Damascus is traveling along and he's well-intentioned and he knows what he's doing because he's a good Jewish lad. And he's fighting for God and he's out to kill these terrible Christians. Why? Because he had a distorted lens and he didn't recognize who Christ was. And so what he did was he was, thought he was doing something really good as a good Jewish person. And he's on his road to Damascus and all of a sudden there's an intervention in his life. And Jesus says, what are you doing? That's not who you are. Do you know who I am? And he changes him and all of a sudden he changes his paradigm and he says to him, let me tell you who you are, Paul. Let me tell you what I'm all about. And in that moment, he began to recognize who Jesus was, which began to redefine who he was. And it says everything changed and he did a 180 degree turn. This used to be the man who was in hot pursuit killing Christians. And in the next moment, he's sitting writing two thirds of the New Testament. What happened? He realized who he was. And when he realized who he was in the context of who he is, it changed everything. It changed everything. God is always introducing us to a new aspect of who we are. He's using the inheritance that we have available to us to take that in circumstances and situations and to sit and say, you can deal with it this way or you can take and appropriate the inheritance. But what it means is this. And it requires something of us. Vision is good, but I've got to know how to appropriate it for my life. One last point before we go, because I have to talk about this because Jim told me I do. You've got to know how to appropriate it for your life. When you're born again and you have the life of God on the inside of you, recognize this, that you are a human being with the life of God inside of you. You are the touch point between heaven and earth. You are the touch point between heaven and earth. God doesn't work the way that the natural works. The natural takes everything external and begins to inform you internally. God doesn't work that way. God's life is on the inside of you. So God's life is looking for a window and a door. It's looking for some kind of a springboard to get itself from where it is on the inside of you out into the world. And you know what's between the world and God? You. That's why the whole point of renewing your mind, that's what it's all about. It's sitting saying, I got to get what's on the inside outside of me. And in order to do that, God's sitting saying, I need for you to be able to partner with me. That's why he wants to, number one, establish a new reality on the inside of me. He wants me to bring, to bring me to a place where the reality that's defined on the inside of me recognizes the fact that I can do all things through Christ because of who he is. It doesn't waver at the promises or the inheritance of God through unbelief. That's the reality that he wants to establish on the inside of me. It's a faith foundation. It's a solid foundation. It's something that I can build my life off of. The second thing he wants to do is this. He wants to introduce you to a lifestyle of worship. Worship is not when you come to church and you spend 20 minutes going, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. How long do you think the guy's going to be? Even when we're well-intentioned, worship is a lifestyle. 
We live in worship every day, whether we're aware of it or not. Worship is when we ascribe worth and value to something and we allow it to have influence in our life. And what God is saying is, if you ascribe worth and value to things outside of my inheritance, that will begin to define you. There are people who go off, and when they don't get their own way, they sulk. You know what they're really doing? They're worshiping the fact that I need to be pitied. What they're worshiping is the fact that, you know what? I did that when I was a kid. I used to go off and sulk, and people used to give me my way. And because I recognized that, it became important to me. And so I began, to ev- I began to value it, and I allowed it to begin to inform who I was. And so nowadays, that's the way that I behave. Because every time something happens that I don't like, I go off and sulk. Why? Because I valued that so much, I allowed it to inform who I was, and my attitudes, and my dispositions, and my actions, and the way that I speak. There are people who value being a victim. I value it because it excuses so much in my life. I don't have to be good. I can be average. I don't have to excel because I'm just a victim. I really, you know, the reason that life is hard for me is because I'm a victim. What do I do? I worship being a victim. I don't think of it that way. But really what I'm doing is I ascribe value and worth to victimhood. And I allow being a victim to inform my disposition to life, the way that I think about life, my attitudes, my behaviors, and all of a sudden I become a walking victim. Oh, pity me because my life is so hard. But you grew up in the same place everybody else did. But they don't all have the same attitude. What do you value? What do you ascribe worth to? What God's sitting saying is, if you understand your inheritance, if you understand what God's nature is, and you begin to spend time meditating on that, and you see attributes to who he is, and you ascribe worth and value to those attributes, when you spend your life in meditation, giving them the necessary um, um, adoration that they deserve, it'll begin to inform who you are. That's what worship is all about. Worship is an ongoing exercise in self-definition. It's redefining who I am. He's given you a mechanism. The last part is prayer. Prayer is not gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. That's not prayer. God created by the words of his mouth. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is is rooted of a a paradigm and a reality of truth that says, I call those things that be not as though they are. Prayer comes out of that paradigm where it sits and says, you know what? Speak to that mountain and look for it to move. Prayer is a power base to who we are and what we're all about. Those are three key avenues in a practical way that you can take the things of the kingdom and introduce them into your life. Where you can take God's inheritance and introduce them into your life. God gave us an inheritance. Jesus paid the price for our inheritance. It's called grace. Grace will redefine you. Grace will introduce you to the truth of who you are. 
And when you begin to see who you are in circumstances and situations, you will begin to change. Because I won't deal with things the way that I used to because that's not who I am. Grace has taught me that it's given me the opportunity to elevate the way that I deal with things, to deal with things from a different perspective, to have different attitudes, different dispositions, a different vision on life, a different outlook to potential. That's the whole point is God's giving you something to take who you are, make you realize who you are, and to step into the purpose of fulfilling that in your life.